Hey friends, this is Ashley coming to you before this episode starts. I just wanted to let you all know that I have a newsletter. It's also called Boss Barista and you can find all of our episodes along with full transcripts and articles about each episode at the newsletter. So go to bossbarista.substack.com and all of this stuff will just end up in your email. It's kind of like magic. So again, bossbarista.substack.com to find all of these episodes along with additional content. Thanks for listening and on to the show. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. My guest today is Geffen Skolnick, founder of Couplet Coffee. Geffen has been an avid coffee fan for years and worked in the tech world before starting her brand. Specifically, she was tasked with assessing users' experiences and insights, calling people to learn what they liked and didn't like about the products that they interacted with. Geffen used this customer-focused lens to start Couplet. Couplet is a fun, colorful, and most importantly, approachable brand. On their website, they remind folks that coffee is for effing everyone. Coffee can feel inscrutable at times. A product that to make well, you have to have a certain amount of knowledge or access to tools and gear that might be expensive or out of reach. Geffen turns all of that around, presenting consumers with a fun way to enjoy coffee and removing the pressure of making the exact perfect brew every time. What pops out to me in this conversation is how diverse the coffee market actually is. In an arena that can feel oversaturated at times, Geffen reminds us that that feeling, like the market is crowded, might not actually be an issue of competition, but rather that we're all kind of pursuing the same target. Couplet is a fresh reminder that we can create fun and interesting new approaches to coffee and in turn, invite a whole new group of drinkers that might have felt intimidated or otherwise not welcome beforehand. Here's Geffen. Geffen, I was wondering if you could start by introducing yourself. Yeah, of course. Uh, my name is Geffen. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the founder of Couplet Coffee. And for the past few years, I've been thinking and dreaming up what it would be like to start a coffee company. So I'm super excited to chat. What were your first interactions with coffee? Did you grow up with coffee as a child? We could talk about this for like 20 minutes, so I'll try to condense it, but... Yes, there was a lot of coffee culture just in my family. Sort of uh, culture is surrounded by like having a nighttime coffee, like a like a kind of like a Turkish or Armenian coffee. And it always felt super communal, like by a fire with a bunch of friends. And I kind of felt like that was missing in a lot of the other different cultures that I'd have. It's kind of like a grab and go situation typically. And so once I graduated from high school, went into college, I was in this 300 square foot apartment and I just wanted to get out at any time that I could. So I would just go to these different coffee shops. And in high school, I thought Starbucks was the peak of coffee. Like on my birthday, people would just have a bunch of these coffee cups. 
on all the little you know how everyone brings like the little gifts for your birthday i just had coffee cups everywhere all over desks in homeroom because i thought that that was the best coffee and then once i was in college and kind of exploring a little bit more of my surroundings uh, i was in santa monica college i went to community college for a few years i realized there were other shops other places to go i first found like groundwork coffee which I am forever indebted to them because I was so in shock that coffee could taste that way and that people were making cashew milk from scratch. I thought that that was insane in the best way. And I was just obsessed and then taking everybody there and working from there and studying from there. And then I discovered on my little walks near the beach that there are other coffee shops around. And then I very much realized that there is a whole ecosystem here that I had no idea about. Are you the type of person who like gets really into things? Because that to me seems like and, 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 and I just I love I love kind of trying to like pick apart like these like like facets of people's personalities. Like I wonder, are you a person mm-hmm. who gets like are you someone who like really passionately pursues interest? Yes, that's exactly what happens. In high school, I was my first love was basketball, and I was extremely obsessed with it. It was probably excessive. So that was kind of like the first thing that I fell in love with. And so I was watching YouTube videos during class, after class of new moves that I wanted to try, new ways to train. I was constantly in the loop on NBA, WNBA, you know, NCAA, just like obsessed. And before school at like 5.30 a.m., I would try to get to school really early so that the basketball courts were empty and I would just play in the freezing cold and just keep trying to get better. And I was just super obsessed with it. And after school, obviously that was what I was doing too on the weekends. That's what I was doing. And eventually I got really good and, you know, it became kind of like a really big part of my life. It was visually obsessed. My fingers were um, like really messed up constantly from playing, you know, outside in the cold and having these little like little, little injuries on my fingers constantly. Either I had like a splint on or like some sort of cast because I just messed up my body from doing it excessively as a kid. So that was like kind of the first way that I got obsessed with something. And then coffee, that's why, you know, there were seven to 10 coffee cups every birthday because everybody and their mother knew that I was obsessed with Starbucks at the time. Side note, we can talk about this later, but I applied to Starbucks to be a barista like over a hundred times. That is my villain origin story for sure in coffee. Over a hundred times? Over a hundred times. I actually want to go back to my old email from middle school and high school to see how many times it was 100% more than 100 times because every time I submitted it, it was to like 45 plus locations because I was in the Valley in uh, in LA. So there was like a ton of options for me. Never once heard back. So, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. that Maybe that's why I became obsessed with, you know, one day doing something in coffee. This is probably a very positive thing that happened, it, right? It's, it's <laughs> like the, the mountain that you could never overcome. So you were like, okay, F this. Like, I'm going to do thing. it. I'm going to do it myself. Exactly. I'm trying to even do the math on that. Like what, how many times like a year you would have to apply to Starbucks? You have no idea. I'm going to get you that number because I am now very curious as to what it was. I love math. I love numbers. So (laughs) that's like you're speaking my language here. So at what point when you were exploring these coffee shops in the Santa Monica area, what what, what kind of like switched it for you where you're like, oh, I'm a casual fan or you know like someone who is really into it to this is something I maybe want to work in or explore as like a business or maybe even just like enmesh myself in more than I than just a person who goes to the coffee shop every day 
Yeah, that's a great question because there was absolutely a transition from person who's just drinking an absurd amount of coffee every day to, oh, I want to know what's happening behind the scenes here. It took, I will say it took a very long time for me to get to the point where I was comfortable and even asking certain questions because I just kind of felt like, and it never really felt that I was supposed to be in those places. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of historically how I felt both in tech and like other, other places as well, where I just kind of went into places where I don't necessarily look or act or seem like I belong there but went to these different shops and like I said because I lived in such a small apartment that was not insulated so it was just either hot or cold all the time and not really a lot of places to kind of work from I just became friends with so many baristas it was funny they just like knew that I was just going to be there all day most days and it's just like you you talk to someone enough that you just start to get curious about their job and what Mm -hmm. they're doing it was like not even me going to look into this is a business that I want to start one day. I never thought that this was something that I'd be doing, especially not right now. I really did think that tech was my biggest passion in life and that uh, I would be doing it forever and I would start multiple tech businesses and we'll get into that after. But really, I just started looking at the beans. I was getting bored, you know, taking breaks in between studying I studied uh, linguistics and computer science in college. Mm-hmm. Not sure how much you know about either of those, but it's just like super technical and tough. Yeah. And you don't want to think about that for four hours straight. So just like, I'm going to let my mind wander. And so I picked up some bags and was like reading things about elevations and origins. And I was just like, so curious, like there's a lot of information on this bag. What does any of this mean? And so I, I slowly kind of built up the confidence to ask the braces like, okay, what does this mean? And like, why is this, bag of beans for espresso specifically and most of my friends and consumers are still like oh my god I accidentally used my espresso beans you know in my french press oh my god is it gonna like break down I'm like oh my god no mm-hmm. like it's totally fine you know I t- I didn't realize how many people also had those same thoughts and so I just asked a lot of questions like that and like okay but like why is this bag of Brazilian beans different from this bag of Peruvian beans and you know every kind of time that I'd be there during my breaks I would do that and because they came, like, became super friendly with me, it wasn't, like, an annoying thing. Right. I just ended up actually hanging out with some of these people outside of the coffee shop, too, which was funny. But, yeah, it was just out of complete sheer curiosity. I will say it took me a very long time to upgrade my own setup at home because all of the things being sold at the different coffee shops were so much more expensive than I could afford. I was working at AMC theaters, you know, like cleaning bathrooms for like 40 hours a week during college for the first few years in college until I started teaching computer science to kids to kind of, you know, switch it up a little bit. And even though like I might have been able to afford, I don't know, like some sort of new grinder, which like who even knows? Like it was just so hard to even know what do I need to make a cup at home? Like I, it was just so very big question mark. Also, I just always had assumed that I would never be able to make that same cup at home until one of my best friends, Zach, he's the founder of Narwhal Coffee, is the co-founder of it. We met in 2017 and I used to go to his house and he had like a Breville, you know, espresso machine and a Breville grinder. And somehow he just made the best coffee. Sometimes I would just be like, we, I don't need to go to a coffee shop today. I'd rather like drink your coffee. I'm just going to your house. I loitered at his house a lot because he had a nice apartment and, uh, He's a little bit older than me, so I was just so excited to just go to his house and hang out and loiter and just, like, be drinking his coffee all day. And i that's when I first discovered, oh, my God, like, wait, people can make the same taste at home, if not better, and kind of make it tailored to their taste. That's 
wild. I had absolutely no idea. And he's the one who pushed me to like get that same setup at home. And then I had that setup for years up until very recently. That's what led me to kind of also push a lot, like dozens of my friends also started getting the same setup at home because I was just so passionate about the fact that you can do so much with that same setup at home. I feel like you identified so much in that answer. Like going back to the very beginning, you mentioned being curious mm-hmm. about just looking around and seeing, okay, just looking around there, there's these Brazilian beans here and there's these Colombian beans here. Like what's the difference? And I think mm-hmm. what you said too, that that was really fascinating was about how you still have customers to this day who are like, oh my gosh, I put my espresso beans into my French press. Like, will it break? <laughs> and like, that sounds silly as we say it out loud, but like, that's, right. that's like a binary that we draw like pretty hard in coffee shops like espresso looks so different than filter coffee but we don't explain Mm -hmm. very well like why that difference is drawn so when people go home and we don't explain it on the bag or we don't make that information accessible like people might have that freak out moment of like oh no did I break my equipment by putting my like light roasted Colombian coffee into my grinder and making espresso because we don't explain that stuff well like the fact that you picked up a bag of beans and you're like, the elevation is on here, but I don't know what that means. Like, then what's the point of (laughs) putting it on there? That's why our bags are the way that they are. We don't put a ton of information. We kind of make it obvious that you can reach out and ask us about things. And then we're going to also continue building out the, the coffee program, of course. And we'll kind of like highlight a lot of producers that we work with and farms and things like that. And like a lot of that's going to be super accessible, but it's like, they don't need to know elevation and sometimes even tasting notes. When I was picking up these bags and seeing tasting notes like molasses and stone fruit and just kind of words that I'd never seen before, honestly, that's why it took me probably an extra like six months to a year to ask the next questions because it's just kind of like if I don't know like this basic terminology of just tasting notes, I'm going to sound super stupid asking any other question in my opinion I mean, that's basically, that was the biggest thing for me was the tasting notes, to be honest, on the back. Right. And then even if you do know what those words mean, then if you go home and you taste the coffee and you don't taste those notes, (laughs) then you're like, I'm a failure. Like, I messed this up. Um, Oh, God, I know. I I had this experience. And, you know, I've been making coffee for a long time. And I was a trainer for a coffee shop in San Francisco when this happened and my job was to like go to different coffee shops and taste coffee and I remember going to this one coffee shop and one of the Mm -hmm. tasting notes was orange wine and I remember thinking like I know what this is only because this is my job but that is the only (laughs) reason why I know what this is and what the fuck like this is a tasting note that nobody else is gonna know so it's really it's really interesting that you thought like really specifically about what tasting notes convey because it's another way that we kind of set up folks essentially to fail and it seems like a lot of what couplet is founded on were these very personal experiences that you were having but seem to mimic a lot of what almost every consumer of coffee is feeling that's the best way I couldn't have put it better honestly like that's exactly what I'm doing so first it started with my own personal inklings but then my friends were making fun of me for being obsessed with coffee they were just calling me bougie and they're like oh my god like you take so long to make us coffee and blah blah blah. you know like they just were just making fun of me for having this whole setup at home and having um what's it called the like a certain grinder that costs a little bit more all of a sudden and I went from having my like Mr. Espresso 
like one group little little guy it was like $30 at <laughs> Bed Bath & Beyond to having this brevel at home and people were just like making fun of it but then they would try the coffee and it was the same thing like when I went to my friend Zach's house it was comparable finally to like that five six seven dollar latte and that's when they changed too my only argument really with couplet is that we just need to stop judging people for how they consume coffee and just educate a little bit more in a non-pretentious way. That's just, that's literally all I'm saying personally. Right. The the reactions that I get from people when I talk to them about coffee, especially non-coffee people, mm-hmm. it tells me a lot about the perceptions that we have as a society about coffee. So people will be like, don't judge me, but I'm doing this. And I'm like, why would you think that I would judge you? And yeah. then I have to remember that it's not about me. It's about what society has kind of imbued in us about how coffee is consumed that we have these like very difficult to access coffee shops where we Mm -hmm. treat coffee as kind of this precious thing in certain spaces but then in other spaces you can go to a bodega or you can go to a diner and get coffee without any pretension or fuss like and that has to be really confusing for people and I realized that as people were like reflecting this onto me of like, oh, don't judge my coffee. And I'm like, I'm drinking coffee that I brewed. Not even I brewed. I brewed like five hours ago because my boyfriend was up much earlier than I am. And if he's not home, I will make instant coffee because I'm the laziest person alive. <laughs> and I have to like tell this story to people to kind of get them into a safe place where they feel not judged by their coffee consumption. Mm-hmm. It's just funny to see you talk about like your evolution, but still getting like this this reaction from your friends because that just reflects on like a lot of the things that you were talking about earlier about like not necessarily feeling comfortable asking questions about coffee, not feeling comfortable being like, okay, I'm going to pick up this bag. But like, what does this, what does this all mean? Yeah. I think especially when we talk about literally just coffee grinders, just isolate coffee grinders in this argument, Mm -hmm. you know, we are going to introduce like a, like a $30 price point for a coffee grinder. And yes, it's going to be a hand grinder. It's just because my friends, when they go to these coffee shops with me, every time they would go with me to these shops, like, you know, the only thing that they're selling in terms of a, of a way to grind your beans at home is like $140 grinder. You know, some of my friends come like as of more recently, come from more privilege and money. But most of my friends don't. And especially my friends from college and community college and growing up in I'm a first-gen immigrant. A lot of my friends were first-gen immigrants. They would think this is hilarious. That just like there's a couple little things that people notice when they go into shops. And it's sometimes it's the tasting notes. Other times it's like, I can't believe y'all are paying, you know, $140 for a coffee grinder. Like, are you joking? That's not even like making the coffee yet. Those things really, I think, have led to so many people. I I wish we could do a study on this. It's just like not even not even go into it, not even ask the questions because they're like, I can't even afford, I would never buy that, nor why would anyone buy this? That's going to be the attitude of mm-hmm. so many people. I've seen it in the dozens, probably if I think about it, at least 100 people I've come in contact with in my life in the past 10 years have gone into coffee shops with me and been like, oh, that's hilarious. This is a joke, right? Um And so it was just kind of my choice to go on my journey to, you know, put a lot of money and effort into it because I find a lot of joy in the process of making coffee. But Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people don't recognize not everyone needs to be like you, but they should also have like access to good coffee or they should at least try it or we should make it a little bit more accessible for other people. And we just don't all need to act the same, you know, and not everyone wants to 
make little swirlies in a pour over and I love it. I think it's so fun and so meditative, but a lot of my other friends, when I make them pour overs, they're laughing out loud. They think it's hilarious. And I just think we need to recognize that there's so many different types of coffee drinkers. But again, just my only argument is that they should all enjoy coffee dependent, not depending on how much money they can spend on a setup. For me, as a person who's like worked in coffee for years, who spent so much time almost idolizing this like hoity-toity pretentiousness <laughs> that coffee was like in 2010, totally. 2011, 2012, where like I remember going to a coffee shop once in New York and there was like four things on the menu. It was like espresso, <laughs> espresso with milk and like espresso with like chocolate. And I, and I thought that that was like the fucking coolest thing in the world. And as I reflect on that now, I'm like, how, what? Like, how could anybody read that menu and be like, I just want a latte. Like, I don't know what any of this yeah. is. Um, exactly. So, so it's really interesting to hear you reflect that, that idea back too of like, People can think like whatever they want about your setup. Like that doesn't mean that they can't have good coffee. Tell me what your budget is and I can get you a delicious setup. Like no matter where you're at, like we should be doing more of this work. And I do think coffee is getting to that point. I think more and more people, as I go to different coffee shops, as I talk to more people thinking about what hospitality and customer service looks like, I'm starting to see that, that sea change. Mm -hmm. But I wonder with your background in tech, like how did that inform the way that you approached coffee and like, Maybe we can get a little bit uh, into your background before you started working in couplet. I, and this was kind of my next obsession in life. When I quit basketball, I discovered computer science. Basically, I you know got really into computer science because it was like the one thing that really humbled me to my core in high school. I was just kind of like a little jock you know not in the not in the worst way but just kind of a little jock right like a you know chilling in class making jokes always got the little talks too much in class and you know still getting good grades even though I was like not really studying much so really needed to be humbled took AP computer science in my senior year of high school which was when I quit basketball and then I just completely reinvented myself and found my new obsession and my new passion and I started off doing software engineering. That was kind of what initially piqued my interest. And I went to community college because I couldn't afford to go, you know, directly into college. So I knew junior year, I was like gonna go to community college for sure. Spent about three years in community college. And like, that was really crucial. Like those three years, I took an extra year to finish up classes. But those three years were really crucial because I got a lot of time to both explore like what I really wanted to do a lot of extra time to do some research on like, what are things that I can do with computer science? And does it have to be software engineering? Probably not. And you only discover that typically later, but I was kind of just barging into doors that community college students were not welcome in. So I would go to these different like professional women developer conferences and all of these different things and get scholarships to like go on trips and do these little hackathons where you kind of create products in 48 hours uh, and compete for prizes from like big tech companies. And so I learned a significant amount just doing a whole lot of that and very quickly realized, okay, I actually don't really care to do like non-consumer facing stuff, which, you know, this is super relevant because replicating high school, I had a passion. I was pursuing the passion and the classes didn't matter. 
and, you know, worked at a bunch of different consumer companies like Hulu and Tesla, like super small five person apps, like for consumers. That's when I started studying a lot of human behavior and understanding consumers are people and I'm a person and not everything is about marketing. It's about connecting and there's community and that literally all of that was because of those roles in tech. Like I otherwise would probably kind of build for me and my needs and what I think at Tesla and at Hulu specifically, we would work with the user research. If, if there is a user research team, you know, we usually kind of tell them who we need and get the information. But at Tesla, even though it was a huge company, you know, I had to get on calls with people who own Teslas and ask them about certain issues, like, and have just conversations human to human to like understand what we could build on the tech side, you know? I mean, I apply that same philosophy now as like a product manager when I had to do a bunch of user research so that I could tell, you know, developers and engineers like what to build next. It's kind of the same thing, right? I'm like, one, remembering that every consumer is a person with needs and problems. And my goal is to build alongside them and take their advice and their needs very seriously. And that's just my philosophy with Couplet is cool. I had a lot of these personal experiences. I saw a lot of my friends have these experiences. And the reason why people have been really receptive to Couplet, in my opinion, is because I have been building it alongside people and being like, hey, I am very new to coffee. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. And I don't even think that a lot of people in coffee have the answers to these questions. How about we talk to the consumers? And how about I have like conversations multiple times a week with people who I've never met before who found couplet somehow on the internet and ask them like why they like it, what they hated about it, what could be better? What is it about the packaging that really spoke to you? Is there something you wish you saw in there? Is there information we're missing? I mean, I just asked a bunch of questions. That's I, I'm still really new to coffee and I still ask a bunch of stupid questions, but it's just like, that's, that's my building philosophy. Right. And it, I took a lot of those learnings from the tech world. I was listening to an interview that you did with Modern Retail with Kale Weissman, who mm-hmm. I used to work with. In the interview, you mentioned that you interviewed, you said a couple hundred people. I kind of wrote it down as a hundred, but it, you said a couple hundred. And I'm going to even extrapolate outward that you've probably interviewed at this point. Yeah, hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds, maybe, maybe in the thousands at this point, because mm-hmm. just based on like all of what you've talked about, working in a way to figure out what people want or what people are looking for. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that's often missing in coffee. I think we often do things without considering who is this for? That's literally exactly what I've been telling everybody is. I will say I am a big fan of a lot of the brands that I have been like, okay, so what's next? Like, are are they going to do something more interesting or like, are we going to go funky? Are we going to kind of you know, learn from other DTC brands or streetwear brands. Like, how are we going to like kind of expand on what it means to coffee brand? I just kind of waited for someone to do something like that. And a lot of them do coffee so, so well. And I was waiting for that, but I also kind of felt like a lot of these different coffee brand owners, you know, were building for them and their friends and like their fellow roasters. I just felt like a lot of me and my friends and coffee consumers That was my original thought was, I just don't think that they care. I just think they're building for each other. I agree with you. That's just kind of been what I've seen. But again, I still have, you know, a lot of respect for what has been done of significant respect. Yeah. Right, right. It's not to say that anybody's doing anything bad, but it seems like, and and maybe you can speak a little bit to this because I have to imagine that this is, this maybe is informed a little bit by your background. Maybe this is just something you've observed, but it seems like we're pursuing this like single exit in coffee where mm-hmm. like quality is the only target. Yes. 
and how we measure quality is also very narrow. So not only are we are we pursuing a very narrow target, but we've even narrowed that even further by being like quality looks like a gesha. Quality yeah. looks like mm-hmm. a 90 plus coffee from the cup of excellence versus right. oh maybe quality can look like we bought a past craft coffee and we were able to roast it excellently. Maybe we were able to buy all of the coffee from this one producer mm-hmm. and sell it all for a premium. Like yep. there are other things that are valuable in coffee that we sometimes I think forget, but could really benefit us. Like people care about their coffee being fun and approachable. Like ho- people care that they can like pick up a cuff, a bag of beans and feel successful. Going back yeah. to that idea of like, tasting notes can kind of set us up to fail. Like people want to go home and have that feeling of like, I made this coffee and like, look how cool my stuff looks and I made this and I'm going to drink it and it's going to taste fucking awesome because I made it and I feel great. Yeah. There's that. But another part to that, which I think is really funny. So when I looked up videos when I was first starting out and I still look at these same videos today of, you know, what's kind of the best way to brew like this or that. I think that one thing that we also forget as coffee people is that not everyone wants to weigh things. Like I Mm -hmm. think none of my friends will ever weigh things. It'll make them feel way too bougie and they think it's unnecessary. And I have, I mean, I drink couplet every day and like multiple times I have just completely messed up the recipe or I just, it was just extracted so poorly, but it still tasted good. And I think that's, that's the thing that, really deters a lot of other people as well that I've noticed is, um, you know, they're going to get another, another expensive thing, like a scale, right? Not only do they not want that as an extra step, but I will argue, and we've had this in our copy, Michelle actually wrote this copy for us um, when we made our how-to guides for the mocha pots in French press, uh, Michelle from Ghost Town Notes. Basically, I was like, hey, let's add something in there that says, by the way, if you like mess any part of this up, it's okay. And also it still might taste great. Like that's just, that's it, you know? Right. Setting people up to not fail. How can we make people feel like they won every time they brew? Yeah. That's the thing is like, I've made many a sour coffee, many a coffee that was just, just extracted poorly, but it was still actually really good. And so when I mess up things to the gram on a scale, I think that that's okay. And I think a lot of the times it might not be super relevant for everybody in the way that they want to make coffee at home. Something else that you mentioned in that interview was that you've used social media to test different thesis, 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 thesi. I'm not sure how the plural <laughs> of that is, <laughs> but that you've used social media to test different ideas that you've had about coffee and to see if they're like viable at all or if that people are interested in them. It speaks a lot to like the scientific method of just like, trying new things and seeing if things work. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Like what are some of the things that you, that you tested on social media and what have you learned from putting stuff out like on TikTok or on Instagram or just like out for the world for people to consume? Every single thing that I've done has been a test so far. Like every single thing, it just seems like weird. And that's for a reason. I think we are trying to be the weird brand, weird, but fun and approachable. I would say one of the tests that I had, so like I was looking for ways to source coffee equipment that was just more affordable and also just fun. I just didn't want to put out some sort of, I didn't even know if I was going to do equipment. That wasn't even the plan. I just did this test and ran with it and it did really well. And I was super surprised, but also not super surprised because I just had this intuition that 
people would be down for funkier looking coffee equipment. And so I went and searched, you know, a couple months for what that was. And then I, I got our cow print mocha pot. And I was just like, listen, we have a queer audience and people who like our bags, I think that they would like something that looks different, even if they're not queer. Also, Urban Outfitters has noticed that people like cow print. So I just went there the other day and saw a bunch of cow print stuff. So it's definitely, you know, reaching a wider target audience than that. But that was my first thing was like, okay, I think people would be down to have like a non stainless steel mocha pot. That was just my only intuition. I made a video with both the Calpert Mocha Pot and our lover's French press, which is just like this red French press with a heart in it. And I literally just took the samples that I got and made a video like, would you guys like, like this? Made a video about it. And the video went pretty viral. I had, I think it was like 800 comments that were super aggressive, like really funny, aggressive, like drop the link now or I'll kill your mothers. Crazy shit like that. Oh, that's fun. Super funny. I And then they were like, I will rob you if you don't do this. Or like, just if you go through that video, I'll link you after if you want. But it was just really funny, like really funny how passionate people were about having these things. And I just kind of thought, I just like don't get why nobody else has done this before. Like this feels like low hanging fruit to have something that looks just like more fun. I'm not innovating here. I'm just offering something a little bit different. And it's like, nah, I didn't do any real innovation. I just sourced something that I thought would be cool. And oh, people are obsessed with it. And then every time, um, every time someone buys or we gift it to somebody and they make videos with it on TikTok, even the, even the other day, there's a pretty big creator who made uh, a video with our Capert Mocha Pot. And then we like, you know, made a couple thousand dollars that day just because of that video. People just they just haven't seen it before. And and that's kind of like one of the th- ways that I tested. And then I immediately went and bought a ton of them. And, you know, it was like I was in a big rush and, you know, there were supply chain issues. But anyways, yeah, now it's part of our offerings. And it, we're in a bunch of different like retail locations with it. And we're selling out of them because people just haven't seen something like that before. They're used to the same run of the mill, either like matte black or stainless steel equipment. Um, and it's usually priced pretty high, but I thought that mocha pot and a French press would be a really good entry point for people. So yeah, that was, that was the one major test that I ran that was super successful and I was excited about. What I'm taking from this conversation is kind of two main things. Mm-hmm. One, one of them is that you're not afraid to observe people. You're not afraid mm-hmm. to notice what they're looking at or even just notice like what's popular around you. Like the fact that like, you went to an Urban Outfitters and it's like, oh, there's cow print here. Or, oh, I saw this somewhere else. Like, let me just try this out and see if this works in this arena. Mm-hmm. And then two, it seems like you're able to put a lot of things together and notice where there's gaps. And you've you've talked a little bit about that, that there are definitely gaps in the coffee industry. And I think this whole conversation is kind of an ode to all the gaps in the coffee industry. But I was wondering... Like, as you were collecting interviews, as you were talking to people, like, what stood out to you? And, like, what do you think Couplet is responding to? I mean, even if we just hone in on the bag, we are now doing pretty, pretty damn well in retail. Like, I'm focusing on, like, a couple okay. Well, that's not a couple. We're, like, at 20 now, but... We're in a couple couple of like retail locations and it's funny, like when I went to New York, I think we had like seven accounts there that I went to and went and took some pictures and uh, every time you see couplet like on a shelf, it stands out because of like the holographic nature of the bag, but it's also super maximalist and a lot of super fun elements on it. But it's funny, like when you walk past, this was 
you know, by design. But when you walk into a store, you walk into any store, or if you're in like a different aisle, even uh, the light reflects off the bag. And so you're gonna, it's going to catch your eye, whether you like it or not. So like, that is the first thing that people, they look at it, they pick it up. They're like, oh, that's cool. And then there, I think the funny thing about couplet is that there's an element of surprise. If something looks really, really pretty, you're just like, you don't think it's going to taste good. So it's funny because then people end up really liking it. We've had a lot of, we get a lot of people posting about couplet all the time. They're like, for some reason, super passionate about it. Um, and this is the gap. The gap is like, there. why are people so passionate about couplet as a brand? Like, why are people posting about it constantly? And we're small, like we launched two months ago posting about it constantly, like DMing me, and we're going to post this on Instagram today, but like DMing me hilarious paragraphs about how much like couplet has brightened their day just by having really good tasting beans, but also something to like really show off on their counter. It's always something that they like to put on their counter as almost decor. And then for some reason, they're just like obsessed with like the Caprit Mocha Par, the French press. For some reason, a lot of the people that are into couplet end up interacting with each other and like share tips and stuff and recipes. And it's because of that, that audience is not the typical specialty coffee audience. And I will say a lot of specialty coffee people are also still impressed with the quality of couplet. It's just kind of because of the nature of who is a part of couplet, you know, whether it's a lot of the people in the queer community who they've just like never seen a really very queer brand for coffee and like so many people drink coffee. So it's been super easy to connect with that, but it's the offerings that are queer. It's the offerings that are fun. And it just feels a little bit more inclusive. And we also like, we're tweeting like funny stuff about making fun of people who make fun of others for how they drink coffee at home. And they they just haven't seen a coffee brand do that, especially when they're positioned as a specialty brand. So I think there's like multiple elements where I just felt like another, a lot of people were Maybe like fans of brands, but were they posting about it all the time? Were they ex- like sh- like really excited about it? Are they telling their friends about it? Are they buying every new thing that we're putting out? Are they like reaching out to us to say like how excited they're at? I just didn't see that happening with other brands. And I'm sure that it absolutely exists and it will continue to exist. But I just wanted to create a brand that felt more like you're a part of something. That was the gap. Yeah, no, that that's a really good point. It's something that I've heard only talked about when people are talking about former employees. Um, and maybe this is a jump, but go with me here. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take a journey. Uh, but I feel like when people leave a job in like a really amicable way, mm-hmm. those are the people that are going to talk about that place well. Those mm-hmm. are the people who are going to be, they're like your alumni almost. Totally. You should apply for this job here. I had a great time working there. Like you should buy coffee from this place because I used to work there. Like, and it's so much fun versus when you leave a job and it's like not amicable or not Mm -hmm. even memorable, then you, then you never really mention it. And like, it seems like a lot of that rhetoric is kind of being applied to the way that you think about couplet with like, you want people talking about this. Like your best marketing is other people sharing their passion for your brand. And we don't think about that in coffee. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I, I just haven't seen it. And like I said, I'm sure there's things that have existed that I have just not seen, but I wanted to like, just kind of create sheer excitement and like joy from my brand that kind of both embodies my values and principles. And obviously these things um, have a lot more to learn and do in this world, but just kind of like core stuff. I, I feel like people honestly just connect 
with others just on a human level or with brands on that level if they just feel heard and like I always like to DM everybody who's posted and like hey how do you feel about this um I you know if you didn't like this bag or if it wasn't like as fresh as you expected like I will personally send it myself from my apartment not from our fulfillment center like I will go to our roastery and grab a bag for you that's another element that I had also not seen is you know Instagram and all that all of the ads just felt like the same thing over and over again. Like this is just a bag. Someone is sending, is showing me the same visual. It just like kind of like making a pour over. And it's, I could not decipher even like the multiple ads that I see from coffee brands a day. Could not decipher which brand was which. Like I want to us to be like, oh, that's couplet. Oh, that's so couplet. And even before we launched and we were just doing like the limited edition drops and things like that, people were like, oh, that's so couplet. And we didn't even have our brand identity done, but we just, we had a voice though. And I think the voice is what stuck with people. Mm-hmm. It's just something recognizable, like just different and that people connect with. That's, that's it really. Is there anything that you'd want people to know about either you or couplet that maybe wouldn't be obvious from reading about you? or even listening to this, what would you want people to take away from this? Hmm, That's a good question. I would say one takeaway is that I am not self-made and I know absolutely nothing. And the only reason I accomplished anything that I've ever accomplished in my life is because I just ask a ton of questions. Um, And I don't think couplet is perfect. And I think we could do better and be better. And I think I, that's the same for me, but I always welcome just kind of opinions, rebuttals, feedback, negative feedback, criticism, uh, all of those things. I'm like very open to kind of hearing different people's opinions. If whether it's something that I said on this podcast or tweeted or whatever, I'm, I'm just happy to collaborate and chat in positive ways with other people. So I hope that that's clear. And also, yeah, nobody nobody is self-made so i think that we should just acknowledge that that like me going to ucla to study computer science and then going and working at tesla and raising money to like start a coffee brand you know there's a lot of privilege that went into that and i just like want to be clear about the fact that there's privilege in everything that i've done um and i'm trying to to give back in the best ways that i can so just definitely if anyone who ever wants to like reach out and ask how to start a business or has like coffee questions and things like that i'm uh, very open to chatting geffen thank you so much for joining me i really appreciate it thank you so much this was fun that was geffen skolnick you can find out more about couplet on social media probably you can follow couplet on instagram twitter tiktok or you can go to their website coupletcoffee.com We are actually going to have an audio extra with Geffen next week. We're going to talk about what an oversaturated market actually is. Uh, Spoiler alert, coffee is not one of them quite yet. And we're going to talk about some of the worst advice that Geffen's gotten. This episode is going to be only for subscribers to my newsletter, bossbarista at substack.com. So go ahead, check that out. And... If not, we'll see you in two weeks. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. 
You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash boss barista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us. That would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.